I can't begin to tell you how many times in my life I've read those words at weddings, at funerals, at services of worship like ours today. I can't tell you how much they mean to me or how much they probably mean to you. The Word of God is so sharp and so piercing and so powerful in our lives. And some of those verses just summarize so much of the scriptures that we know and cling to that we're always amazed. That song was powerful, wasn't it? To know that you're saved, to know that moment that you enter into God's presence as his child when you reach out your hand and you take his hand. When you accept what he has offered you in Jesus Christ and the flood of grace and pardon and mercy and relationship floods over you. When you know you have a place in heaven that God is preparing for you in Christ for all eternity. When you know you need not fear anything, even death. It is an unbelievable kind of experience that you get and that you rehearse all of your life. All of your life you're continually saying to yourself that same truth. I think especially on the days when you know you've not been all that you could be, right? I can remember as a teenager, way back there, boy, those verses were powerful many times when I certainly didn't want to tell anybody about where I'd been or what I'd been doing. I lived with the fallacy of believing my parents never knew about it. Such a shock when you learn later on that it's not, it's not always true. But it was comforting to know that God knew and God forgave me. How powerful was that? Sometimes, if we're not careful, we get lost in the power of what we call theologically justifying grace in our life. And we kind of get, we kind of just hang on to it. You know, it's kind of like from there on, we're kind of on the Christian board. We know where we're headed. We're celebrating that in Christ, and we're not afraid of anything. And we, it just feels good to know that we're saved and that we're always going to be saved. That we have that opportunity to hang in there with Christ and through that know that we'll, Christ is always hanging on to us. As long as we're both clasped hand in hand, we need fear nothing on this earth. And sometimes we think that that's really 90% of the Christian life. Now from a Wesleyan theological point of view, however, that's not 90% of the Christian life. If I were going to have to put an equation on it, I would say that while it is the first most important thing in our life, it is certainly by far not the most important experience that God has planned for us. In fact, God has planned for us many more experiences that will not only celebrate that relationship we have with God in Christ, but will broaden and deepen it to the point where our faith becomes something that's overpoweringly compelling overpoweringly compelling. It will become, in the next experiences, that progressive experience of what we call initial and progressive sanctification, leading us toward what we talked about last week, when we talked about that second question. Or you first question, if you remember, on the first Sunday in this series of who is really a Christian, is have you faith in Christ? That's where we begin. But the second question question 
jumps off into an area that is kind of shocking for a lot of Christians, but not Methodist Christians, as they've been reading any of John Wesley's writings, where he says, are you going on to perfection? Now, I can tell you as a young Christian man who knows only so much of the Bible, whenever I started hearing that phrase, and whenever I then began to hear it more and more at seminary, it was even more overwhelming. And the night of ordination, when you're sitting there and the church is laying its hands symbolically upon you in a packed house, and you're looking up and down the row at other people who have not only given their life to Christ already, but all those other ministers sitting in the congregation, there are a long chain of heritage of people passing on the faith from one to another. When those questions come rolling around, if you don't tremble, you're just not listening. Are you going on to perfection? There's only one answer. Now, they've already rehearsed it before the preachers, before they get in the whole congregation. <laughs> Hopefully, they're not going to change their mind that night. But the question is simply and clear forwardly this, are you going on to perfection? And that biblical mandate is followed by the third question that says, just as importantly, do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? This whole section of scripture is made up of verbs, and that's by no accident. In fact, that's true of a lot of scripture if you look closely. Christianity is not just a faith about getting in. It's a faith of action. It's separated from other religions because it's not just about coming to worship and learning some stuff in your head so you have an intellectual persuasion about the reality of Christ, but rather it's about gaining an intellectual understanding of God and then willingly and with full-heartedness submitting yourself to follow the words of Christ that are in the Scriptures. That drive toward perfection is what makes us perfect in love in this world. Now, I know, remember, we talked about this. It's not perfection in the sense that everything is, you never make a mistake. There's never an error in judgment. There's never an error in knowledge. It's not that. It's an error of the heart that is most concerning. The error of the heart is when we fail to submit ourselves to that wooing voice of the Holy Spirit that wants to bring us from where we are through transformation to the changes that God has planned for us. Now, here's where I apologize for asking you to come forward because change is hard for us. Somebody said, I'd move, but my name's on this seat. You know, well, actually, our name is on a lot of seats in our spiritual lives. We've carved them there. We're satisfied there. We've made our peace with God there. And we just kind of want to roll along. It's okay. God's okay with us. God doesn't really expect us to aim any higher or practice any more fervently in order to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. You don't learn how to open yourselves to the Spirit just by sitting down one day and saying, okay, let's get this over with. God, fill me. It just doesn't work that way, does it? No. A being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is a sweat-causing Fear overcoming, fearful activity if we're not careful of letting God have charge of our life through the power of his Holy Spirit. I was afraid at one time of the bishop. I'm going to see him next Tuesday. 
I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> you say, why? Well, because I'm too close to retirement. <laughs> what can he do, right? <laughs> what can he do? But the reality was I really got over that a, a number of years later. The bishop is not there to cause me harm. The bishop has been appointed by God through the church to represent God in his church and to call me forward. Do they always do that perfectly? Not in my estimation. However, do I always do everything perfectly as a pastor? You would, many of you would say, not in my estimation. That's the way life is, right? Don't worry, I'm saying the same thing about you. You know, but the, really the only estimation that matters is what's in our heart that God can clearly know and see in us. Because you see, that's where spiritual apathy can sit in. And I want to tell you, you've ruined that for me in this congregation in the last five years by coming here and serving as your pastor. I've been to many worship services where there was never a hoop, never a holler, never a hand raised. In fact, if anybody moved, you'd have thought we, the funeral was over. <laughs> Even when they sang, it wasn't joyful, and most of them were just kind of singing along. And I thought that's the way you worshipped, and so that's the way I worshipped too. I never had the benefit, teenagers, of what you've had the benefit of being a part of a worshiping community who's into it, not only intellectually, not only with knowledge, not only with integrity, but also with emotion. It matters to them. And it should matter to us. It should matter to every one of us that we give our lives to Christ. Now, it's not an easy thing. And the last question I'm going to use today is the fourth question in the book Carolyn wrote. And it is simply this. Uh, now, you've got to picture this all together. It's not spread out over three or four weeks. Hear this. I'm going to do it again. Have you faith in Christ? Or are you going on to perfection? Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? Or are you earnestly striving after it? Ooh. Ooh. They just pile up on you. And this is the end of this series of questions that he asked them. All of this is about your relationship with God in Christ. Because you know what? For pastors and for people in the pews, if your relationship is not active and growing, if it's not healthy and strong, then nothing else is going on right in your Christian life. It's just not. We can fake religious activities and we can be in religious places but until our heart is yearning to be closer to God, until our lives are being molded and shaped in the image of Christ, until we are really open to if the Lord says go, we go, until, the Lord's, until we're open to responding when the Lord says do this and we do it, then we are withholding ourselves from Christ. We are withholding ourselves from grace. We are blocking God's intentions for us because we're aiming too low. It's not good enough just to be saved. It's not good enough just to sit upon what we think we've already received because the hardest thing in the world to do is to stay in faith sitting upon that little box of your first moment of salvation. The hardest thing to do after that is to gain some knowledge about Christ and not feel sufficient with the knowledge that you have. The hardest thing of that is to put that knowledge into practice. Now watch this. Here we go. Are you ready? Are you hanging on? 
We're running toward our supper with the Lord together. Are you ready? Okay, here it comes. Listen to these questions she, that Carolyn asked after that. After those four questions, or after in the, in the third and fourth questions, she says, Are you going somewhere spiritually? Other than heaven, we'll give you that. Do you expect to get there? Do you expect to get there? Have you counted the cost? You see, perfect love is about an active, ongoing pursuit of ever-deepening love, she writes. It means that you are avoiding spiritual stagnation by continually pressing on toward the prize of perfect love that God has offered you in Jesus Christ. There really is no way to avoid stagnation except that. You say, well, I don't really want to be perfect in love. Well, I'm going to pray harder for you because it's really hard to sit on that little box. You will fall off. All kinds of boxes people perch on along the way and they fall off. I'm going to, man, I'm going to get my kids in church. I'm going to raise my kids in the church and that's where I'm going to be. Last kid goes off to college and, man, after the kid goes off to college, they come back to church and pray, Oh, man, I'm hurting so much. My last darling left the nest, and I'm miserable. Lord, come help me. Goes on for a month or two, and the next thing you know, man, it was a good weekend to plan a trip. And then there was another good weekend to plan a trip. And then they had to go back and see their kids wherever they went to go to school. And then pretty soon, worship is once a month, and then pretty soon that everyday experience became every monthly experience, and then pretty soon it was Christmas and Easter. And then pretty soon, their, their children in college who have um, not looked homeward in a while, as often as they used to, are looking back there and wondering, I thought going to church was really important to my parents. It's called falling off the box. You can't go to church just for your children's sakes. You've got to go to church to worship the Lord in order that you can feel filled with His Spirit. You're not going to miss that every other weekend. If you're not here, you're going to be getting it somewhere else. You're not just going to sit down on your past laurels. You're going to be moving ahead. Oswald Chambers said, in order to meet that expectation, that we have to be made. You know that? Did you hear what it said? Do you expect to be made? Do you expect to be made perfect in love? Oswald Chambers wrote years ago, Sanctification is an impartation, not an imitation. Everyone who tries to imitate Christ will fall on their face in the mud and suffer deeply. In fact, the water will get so deep you'll think you're drowning. Because you can't copy Jesus. Only Jesus could be Jesus. And you can't become more holy by working yourself to death either. It is a work of grace, just like salvation is, in justification. But you do have to work in order to practice your faith and put yourself in the places where the channels of grace can be received by you. If you don't do that, then all of God's efforts to pour himself out and into you fall awry. 
And church is one part of that, but certainly your prayer life is another part of that. Certainly your willingness to wander out there and be brave enough to practice your faith is yet another part of that. You might be asking yourself, tell me again what that looks like, because I'm feeling a little compelled here of the necessity of this in my Christian life. I hope that's what you're thinking. Well, listen to these words that she uses in her book, which are mostly hers, and a few of mine struggled in with it. First of all, she says it is a heart-level transformation. She goes on to say it's a lifestyle saturated. I love this phrase. I don't think I've ever used it before, but I will use it some more. She says it's a lifestyle saturated in love. Saturated in love. Not just practiced, practicing love, but saturated in love. She goes on to say making it bold, vulnerable, courageous in its relationships. It's not just any love, like the world uses the word love so cheaply these days. It's not love that's as for as long as I feel like it. It's not love for as long as the paper says it is. It's a love that has overwhelmed you and consumed you. It is God's love as it's described in the scriptures. It's a holy love. It's a love of action. It's a love that is compelled to reach out to those around you. It's a love that must forgive. It's a love that must care about the needy. It's a love that must care about the unsaved in the world. It's a love that cannot be quenched nor squashed nor turned away. When it's on fire, it is impossible to stop this kind of love. And this is the love of perfect love. This is the love described throughout Scripture. It's much more than just a feeling. Yeah, feelings kind of go along with it, but not the kind of way we use feelings. It is more than feelings. It is a commitment. It is a commitment of the heart. It is a commitment of your life. It is a lifestyle and an obedience to what God calls you to do and who God calls you to be. It is other-focused, and all this work is done by the Holy Spirit only and if we continue throughout our lives, as long as we draw breath, to let the Holy Spirit in. Who wants to separate themselves from that? Who wants to be separated from the life as God wants to pour it into us? Who's afraid of becoming all God wants you to be? I used to be afraid, and it's terrible to admit this, and this is to my shame in my process of becoming who I needed to be. Early on in my life, a kindergarten teacher once described Sarah as a little missionary. She said, every time some kid gets in trouble, I look up five minutes later, and there's Sarah over there talking to the kindergartner and consoling them and making them feel better and taking them to the chair. She's going to be a missionary or something like that. And you know what I thought? A missionary? That's what I thought, Charles, Becky. You thinking about sending my daughter to Africa or to China? Surely you must be mistaken. Lord, you don't really want that, right? I thought that was an important prayer for my daughter, right? God forgive me. God forgive me. That's how little I've been taught about missionary work and, and being perfect in Christ's love. But if I came to know that, you know, it's not really important where I want my children or grandchildren to be. It's who I want them to be. I want them to be people who hear God's call wherever God is calling them. The same thing I want for you. I'm through now. I really am. Don't get nervous. Well, that's almost through. Are you striving after it? Are you aiming high? Intentionally, 
and sacrificially to love people more. You know, I remember, and I am through here, pastors, if you want to come on up before I read the last bit of Scripture. When I first came here, I heard a lot of stories. Brian, I want to thank you in advance for being part of the message this morning. I heard about Brian Rose. Pastor, you haven't seen anything yet in finance. Really? Yeah, there's this man-eating, staff-eating person who guards the budget and who rules with an iron fist. And then I would hear lay people talk about Brian, and they'd say, oh, yeah, Brian is, he's quite the animal when it comes to finances. And they would kind of smile. And I thought, well, this is going to be fun, you know. I like finances, too. And then I met Brian. He was on his best behavior for a while. And, and now five years later, he still is. He's a big old teddy bear. I can't believe everybody was afraid of Brian. Now, he cares about the finances. He better not mess around with the finances. But he's a teddy bear. Sorry, Brian, I gave you away. Don't tell anybody outside here that he's a teddy bear, okay? Because he has employees and all that kind of stuff. You already know that, right? And you know, that's, that's what I'm talking about when we talk about knowing somebody and really knowing somebody. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about knowing Jesus and really knowing Jesus. Now, what do I mean by earnestly? Just these words. I'm going to read from Paul again. Verse 12 in chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. Some of you could recite it for me. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. This is near the end of his life. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is Christian perfection. That is doing what God has called us all to do. Questions for pastors? Yes. Questions for everyone else in the church? Yes. Let us all heed them with joy this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.